There was a phenomenon that happened in the late 70s, early 80s, and it was called roller disco. It was a pretty interesting time. You know, there was this war that kind of took place. You had the rockers. How many guys out there are rockers? Okay. How many guys are disco? Well, you guys are lame today, man. I need more energy than this. How many guys are rockers? How many guys are disco? All right. Disco usually didn't win. I want you to know, except for in roller rinks. Roller rinks were bombarded with disco. Disco was everywhere in roller rinks. And so roller skating rinks were actually the happening place to be. I mean, that's where you went. You went on a Friday night, Saturday night. You went and hung out with your friends. That's where you went to have a good time. You went there to go eat pizza, to play pinball machine and do that kind of stuff and listen to the music and also to show your moves on that dance floor, roller skating, effortlessly, going around in circles, looking cool like all those people did. You know, they were cool. They were cool. Did you ever watch that movie, Roller Boogie? Uh, Don't waste your time. I did. (laughs) I didn't watch it then, but I watched it now, and it was quite interesting, I have to say. But, you know, there was one of those things that people did. They went there to show off their moves, and they hung out with their friends, and it was, like I said, it was the place to be. My move was the falling down over and over again. I could never quite accomplish roller skating like I'd like to. You know, I always wanted to be a good roller skater, just never quite happened. Um, I lived about 12 miles away from the roller rink when it was here in Peru. And so what would happen is I would want to go, but a lot of times I couldn't get there. Um, My sister raised me, and she had three little kids, so I never got to go as often as I'd like to. But, you know, I always wanted to, to skate like that. I always wanted to be a good skater, and all we had was a gravel drive. There was no place to really skate. And so you had to go and you had to rent your skates. I didn't have my own. But John, my husband, the guy lived in the roller rink. He loved it. He went almost every single weekend. He would go to the roller rink, hang out with his friends and be there and uh, just show the moves. And he would just be that person that would just be skating effortlessly around in a circle. And, you know, one of the things that was really interesting about John was when I met him, he always had tricks, and I guess I always liked that. <laughs> I don't know what it was. He could juggle. I think one of my first memories of him was riding down a big hill on his motorcycle. No kidding. Standing on his seats like this, riding down it. I don't know why. I, was just, I guess that was as bad guy as I could get. I don't know. <laughs> Troy Grove was pretty slim pickings, guys. There's like 250 people. But um, John was pretty cool. He was definitely a good roller skater. I tried to be a roller skater. I just could never accomplish it. And I was one of those people that was always kind of hanging on the sides of the rails, you know, and trying to get around and falling down more than I was standing up. Never really could do it. Never fails what would happen to me all the time, too. I'd go to the roller rink, I'd get my lace, my laces all tightened up on my skates, and I'd go out there, make it around maybe one, maybe two times, trying not to fall down, falling down more than I like. Never fails. I'd get all the way in the far side of the rink, and what they would do is they'd change the music, and they'd call out either couple skate or backward skate, which meant that you had to get off the floor. Because if you didn't know how to backward skate or you didn't have a, someone that was going to skate with you, it was time for you to move and get off. Well, that was really easy when you're a good skater. It's not so easy and not so great when you're not a good skater and you have to somehow make your way and try to get off the, the, the rink without you know, killing yourself while everybody else is coming out because they're so excited and they're just looking at you like, why are you here? Get off. You should be not here at all. You need to, need to get off the floor. So what happened is I would sit there and 
on the side of the rink and I'd watch these people and they're all having this great time. They're having fun. They're laughing, enjoying themselves. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I only have about 45 minutes left here to have fun. And I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting for my chance to get out there so I could skate a little bit more. And you'd wait forever, it seemed like. And then all of a sudden the music would change and they would yell out this phrase, all skate, and everybody could go out on the floor again. So you waited for these words. You waited for these words called all skate, which meant that every single person, no matter how good of a skater you were, no matter if you had a partner or not, whether or not you knew how to do some fancy moves or not, you were all welcome to get back out on the rink and you could skate. So it was a pretty good time. There's this idea of all skate. That's the reason why we wanted to teach this. This idea of all skate is exactly how Jesus would be. I say if Jesus lived in the roller skating era, he would have been yelling out all skate to everybody. Because that's Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart is that everybody is welcome. Everyone's always welcome to come close and join in and be part of everything. That's how Jesus always looks at things. You know, he's not about keeping people on the outside. It was always about bringing people in. He was more about inclusion, you know, not exclusion. He was all about unity and not division. He was all about telling people that they could come close. It didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter what you looked like. It didn't matter if you were educated or uneducated. It didn't matter if you were male or female. It didn't matter if you were good at something, like the rules and the laws. None of that mattered to Jesus. Jesus was all about everyone that wants to come close to me can come close to me. And that's how really we should be in the church. We should actually be that same type of personality, that same type of people, that we would actually tell people that anytime they come in our doors, anytime we come into contact with people, that no matter who they are, that we would say that we welcome you. You guys can come close, so we're all about being together. So if Jesus walked among us, it'd be an off-skate. It'd be an off-skate. He'd be telling everybody, listen, out on the floor, if you're sitting out on the sidelines because you think you're not good enough or you think that you're this or that, I want you to know none of that matters when it comes to me. It all matters the fact that everybody is welcome. So there's never an instance at all in the Bible that we can find where Jesus ever rejected anyone. He never kept anybody at arm's distance. He never turned away. He never refused anyone. If someone was seeking him, He never left them feel left out. It was always, come close, you belong, and you're welcome to come to me. You know, he welcomed, he touched, he healed and spoke to lepers. At the time, the the people that were suffering with leprosy, you know, they were considered unclean in society. You know, our our society is so different today. Because if you look at back in those days, if you had an affliction, if you had something wrong with you, if you had leprosy or you had even blindness, deafness, muteness, you know, all those different things that you could suffer from. What they did in that society is they believed that those people must have sin or their parents had sinned. So they think that there's something that you brought upon yourself. So people really wanted nothing to do with those people. They considered them unclean and they basically ostracized them from community. You know, even these people were part of their families. They couldn't even be part of their family. If they got these diseases, a lot of times what happens is they were considered unclean and they were told that they had to go out on the outskirts of the town and they had to live there. They couldn't be part of the community at all. See, and Jesus decided he was, this is not how I ever intended it to be. 
So when Jesus did, he modeled for us the perfect way that we should show love and compassion and gentleness to others. He would say to people, you can come close. And Jesus modeled it over and over again. Where the religious people would say that, you know, someone's unclean and they don't want to get close. Jesus did it completely different. What he did was he spoke to, like I said, and he touched those people. He would physically touch them, which was so unheard of in those days. Because if you and touch, if you touch them, you yourself were considered unclean and had to go live outside the community. I mean, we see the whole difference here. I'm trying to get you to grasp the idea of how Jesus was. He was so renegade. He was so different. Everybody was so rules and regulations, and this is how we do it, and we're only going to do it this way. And Jesus comes in, and he does it completely different. Whereas people weren't welcome, he said, no, you're welcome. You come to me. If you're seeking me, you come to me. You can touch me. You can be by me. So there's never an instance where he made ever ever made anyone feel as if they didn't belong. And I think that's so, so important for us to grasp as a community of believers. As people who belong to a church, or if you call yourself a Christian, that we would ever look at certain people and we would think that certain people belong and certain people don't belong is totally against the way that Jesus would want his church to be. It's never the way he intended it. It's a lot of times what's happened over time has is, is taken place as people have decided what they feel is right or wrong. And see, it's no different than it was in the Bible times where they started to make all these rules and regulations. So like I said, he, he welcomed and he touched and he spoke with those lepers and he, he would talk to these people that are blind, deaf, mute. He would talk to those people and he would show them love and he would show them compassion and he would say that those people are not being punished. If anything, we need to show them love. In Matthew 8, 1 through 3, it says, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. So opposite of everything that was happening in their society. So different. And it caused a stir because they're like, why, are these, why is this man walking around touching these unclean people? Isn't that what we still do today? We have this idea that certain people are untouchable. That we can't touch them. We don't want to get close to them because we're afraid we're going to catch what they have. It's so convicting because and it should challenge our hearts to think that that's not the way we're supposed to be. If anything, we should be the first persons to walk over and give them a hug and show them love and show them kindness. You know, Jesus also, he interacted with women. In those days, women were not like it is today. You know, you were second class. A lot of times in the Bible accounts, they would count people and it would never even include women. It never included the children. He never, they would never look at them as like being in the same class as men. But Jesus changed all that. Jesus totally changed it. He says, no, there's there's no difference. He would tell the kids, kids, come to me. The kingdom belongs to these. He would tell women that they're valuable. See, it was so different. It was such a change. So he interacted with women and even women with questionable reputations. Those who he knew weren't necessarily doing everything perfect. In John 8, 1 through 11, It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, 
the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and again wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Again, Love, compassion, kindness. They brought this woman in who really, by their laws, could be stoned to death, killed for what she did. And Jesus instead, he's just so cool (laughs) how he just basically just drops down and starts writing in the dust. And out of that simple silence, convicts and challenges every single person around there to say, you're also a sinner. You're no better. Your sins, you have too. If you have a sin, if you don't have sin, cast the first stone. But you all have sin. Maybe he was writing the names of the people that he knew were also maybe adulterers. Maybe the men that he knew deep down. Maybe some of the sins that they had. You know, Jesus knows our heart, knows our mind. So this idea that he thinks, so again, it was all about their laws were about ostracizing and taking one person out and making them feel unloved, unwanted. And Jesus instead says, that's not how it's supposed to go. That's not how it's supposed to be. What we do is we offer redemption. What we do is we offer a second chance. What we do is we offer love and compassion and gentleness. So Jesus spent time with those adulterers. He also spent time with Jewish tax collectors, which were the lowest of lowest of lows, Because what they were is they were basically told to go collect taxes and and way high taxes, overtaxed their other Jewish friends, the people that lived next to them by the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers would take these tax collectors and say, you go collect these taxes and I'll give you a cut. So when they would do this, they were considered traitors. Traitors is like, you're my friend, you're my fellow brother, why are you working for them trying to hit me up and shake me down and want more money? So they were the lowest of lows. But Jesus, again, he didn't care. He didn't care at all. Where people said those are the worst people, those are the people that he went to. Mark 2, 15 through 17, it says, Later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Isn't it interesting how they say that? Disreputable sinners. Aren't we all just disreputable sinners? That's what I am. I'm a disreputable sinner. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. You know, I always kind of look at that and I always think, how did they feel at that moment? How do you think these tax collectors and all these disreputable sinners felt when Jesus said, the healthy don't need the doctors, you know? 
the sick people do. So are they thinking, well, I'm sick? I actually think Jesus was making a point to say that um, actually it's you that are judging right now that are the sick people. You're the sick people. You need salvation. They get it that they need salvation. They get it that they're sick. They know that they have sins. They're here among me because they want to get better. But you are on the outside. You're the ones who actually need the healthy doctors to, to make you better. So Jesus spent time with those who hated him the most also and wanted to execute him. He would spend time with these Pharisees and these Sadducees, these, these people that really wanted nothing but just to kill Jesus and get rid of him. And he would also tell them all the time what they needed to hear, but they didn't want to hear it. You know, they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. But the one thing you notice over and over again throughout the Bible is you see that Jesus never left anyone out, ever. You can read through it over and over again, all different parts, and you can see that Jesus was always extending a hand of welcome, never putting a hand out to say, only come this close. It was always, come close to me. You're welcome to come to me. That's what it's about. Picking sides. Do you remember when you were a kid? Do you remember being there? Maybe you were one of those that were always picked first. And I can tell you, I was always kind of a sports-minded person, so I was never last. I wasn't always picked first. That's for sure. But do you remember that feeling of being left out? Maybe you weren't invited to the cool table at lunchtime. Maybe there was a whole group of friends that were going to go do something, and you thought maybe you were going to be invited, and all of a sudden you weren't. You were left out. Do you remember that feeling? I'd like to take you back to that feeling and kind of feel it again, because I think we have to remember sometimes that feeling of not belonging, not feeling welcome. You know, it's, it's something that we only don't feel when we're young. We can actually experience it over and over again, even as we get older. Even when you get adult relationships, even when you become part of a family, you can still feel left out. Sometimes you look at the people that you love the most and you think, why didn't get to get invited? Why didn't you invite me? Why was I not there? What made you leave me out? And what happens in that moment is what we do is we start to look inside ourselves and we think, there has to be something wrong with me. Why didn't they want me around? What's wrong with me? And we start to look at ourselves and judge ourselves and feel bad about ourselves, wondering why it is that we weren't invited. And over time, what happens is we start to build up a wall. When we think someone should love us and want to be part of our lives and they don't invite us, what happens is over time is we start to detach. We start to push away. We say, if you don't want me, then I don't want you that's how it's going to be, then that's how it's going to be. So we build up a wall. And those people that meant so much and the ones that we wanted to be part of so much, after a while we just say, nope, don't need you. Don't need you anymore. So what happens over that is you retreat. You retreat more and more and more. You keep going back. And before long, you know where you're at? You're on the outskirts of the town. You're out there thinking that you don't belong anymore. There's something wrong with that way of thinking of how we treat people. And if you've ever treated somebody that way, we need to change it about ourselves. You know, a lot of times I think what has happened is these, the same experience that's happened inside the church. But a lot of times what happens is we get in a group of people. I think we all have friends. 
You know, we make friends when we come into a church, and a lot of times what happens is you go to those same friends over and over and over again. The welcoming face, the one you know is not going to, like, turn you down or be unfriendly. But I really want to challenge you to start talking to people that you wouldn't normally talk to. I think you're going to find that there's a lot more people out there that have something valuable to offer and something to share with you. We can't just be in a little box of friendships. In a community this size, we should already know most everybody. We should be trying to get to know people. It shouldn't be that you only talk to five certain people every single week. It should be that we're trying to make other people feel valuable and worthy. The one thing that I've definitely heard, and I, I'm sure you guys have heard this statement too. I'm sure some of you guys have heard that um, statement that people make laughingly that I don't dare go into a church because if I did, I'd get struck by lightning because of all the sins I've committed, you know. And the people always say, it's like, oh, you don't want me to walk through your doors. If I walk through your doors, you know, the whole place would burn down. Actually, that's really kind of a sad statement. It's really a sad statement to think that most people think that there's so much judgment in a church, that God's so judgmental, that God's so angry and so hurtful that he just can't wait to just take you out. And if you read the Bible, you see that's so not Jesus. If anything, the church was made for those people. It is those sick people. It is the people that have sinned. And because we all are sick. We all have sin. A lot of us are just have prettier sins than other people, don't we? They're just prettier. It's a little prettier to maybe like secretly do a little bit of gossip instead of maybe being a person who's a liar and a cheater or whatever. You know, it's like we, we have these levels that we put up on people that certain sins are worse than others and I, if you do this I can't be your friend Jesus says sin is sin we're all sinners we need his perfection none of us can make it on our own we have to have his forgiveness we have to have his purity to basically drench us and code us so that we can even get close to God but I think that the idea that those people think that God would basically take them out, you know, strike them dead with lightning as they walked in, you know, I think who should really be concerned are those people should be looking up at the sky and looking a little bit close as the ones that think that they have it all figured out. Those the self-righteous, the ones that Jesus never really liked. You know, because you can see all the time throughout the Bible, the ones that Jesus didn't like. He says, you, you, the hypocrites were the ones who were saying that you had to be a certain way. And they were the most hypocritical liars and cheaters and evil people. So those people that you sometimes think you have it all figured out, you think you got the whole Bible figured out, you know how to do everything right. They're the ones that should be looking up to see and make sure that you're not a grease stain when he zaps you. I think what's happened is throughout America and many, many of the churches. What's happened is we've adopted a country club attitude in churches. A country club mentality that I belong at this church and there should, they should be so happy to have me because I am the perfect Christian. I give, I serve, I pray, I look good. And Jesus instead saying, that's great. But my church exists for those who don't do any of that yet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jesus was all about the all skate. 
Nobody was kept at a distance, ever. So we have an idea of thinking that certain people look the part. Then there's something wrong up here with us. Because you don't look the part. If you look through the Bible, you see that there was people of all shapes, sizes, education, male, female, any person. It didn't matter. You were all welcome to come close to him. It was an all skate. Everyone was welcome. I think the church has definitely portrayed this idea and this mindset that um, you already have to know how to skate to come here. You already have to know how to pray or look the part or maybe look cleaned up. You know, pray pretty. When I was a, a first-time belie- believer, when I started um, walking in my faith and trying to figure it out, I remember people would say, do you want to pray? And I would be so terrified and think, no, I don't want to pray because I was thinking, I don't pray pretty like other people pray. So you don't want to pray out loud. Well, if we put that on people, we're doing something wrong. There should be something about us that we just want to lift our voices to God because he doesn't care how we pray. It's just that we pray. It doesn't matter if we just stumble over our words. It doesn't matter if we fail and start saying a statement and we screw up. He knows our hearts and he hears us, and that's what's important. That we would ever make somebody feel as though they were inferior because they don't pray pretty is something wrong with that. The church exists for those people, like I say, who don't know how to skate. Those people who are really just falling down over and over and over again and hanging on the railings. That's what it's about. You don't have to be good at Christianity. You just have to be good, as good as you can for Jesus. Just trying to love him. Just trying to show him that you care for him. The rink is open to everyone. But we have to decide to get out there. See, the thing is, what the Bible says, it says that he never turned away anybody who was seeking him. So when those that are coming and they're seeking and they're trying to figure it out, those are the ones we never want to turn away. John 6.37 says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Never drive you away. What a good God. What a good God. In this era of religion, this era of looking a certain way where people would walk around and look as though they were like so self-righteous and so perfect. You know, in those days, when you were a, a priest or you were somebody who was supposed to pray for people and help people, you wore all these fancy, fancy clothes and all these different little tassels on you to show that you somehow arrived. This is the reason why at Acts Church we don't look any different. Because it doesn't matter on the outside. Jesus sees what's on the inside. Nobody is better than another. Cameron is your lead pastor. I'm a co-pastor, youth pastor. Other people who've been followers a long time, you know what, there's still so many imperfections. There's still so many things we do wrong. God might have called us to preach, but we're just forgiven sinners just like anybody else. No one's better than another. Jesus came to benefit everyone, and he was on the side of everyone. He was for everyone. Then and still now, all he does is say, come close. Come closer. If you thought this was about religion and it was keeping you at arm's length, I want you to know that's not what it was ever supposed to be. He wants you to come to him and just say, help me. 
It's so simple, the message of Christ, and we've just convoluted it and messed it up so much with so much religion and so many man-made rules and regulations. It was so simple. He says, are you a sinner? Ask for forgiveness. Tell me that you're going to follow me, and I'll make you fresh and bright, as new as the morning sun, as fallen snow. He changes everything for us. One of the things that I definitely noticed when my kids were small is that they loved to play the games that they were good at. You know, if they were good at a game, they're like, let's play this game. But they never wanted to play the games that they were not good at. If it came time to play, like, you know, basketball and they weren't good, it's like, I don't want to play basketball. I'd rather play this. There's something about us that wants to be good at things. We want to be good at something. We want to show people that we are better and we, are, we really excel at something. You know, it's so against what God says, because God actually tells us to share our weaknesses, not our strengths. He says, share your weakness because what really connects with people is to see that we all fail, that we're all not good at everything, that we all stumble. And I think that's the same reason why people don't go to church a lot of times. Because we in the church, when I say the big church throughout America, I think what's happened is, like I said, we have to somehow be good at it. And that's not what Jesus wanted. We could stumble, we can fall. We can hold on to the rails. And over time, because we're still welcome and because we still belong, because it's an all-skate, over time you get a little bit better. You just keep going around that circle, a little bit more and a little bit more, and after a while you're like, okay, I'm kind of getting the swing of things. I'm kind of getting how to do this thing. I think if we could just take the pressure off of people and welcome them in a way that Jesus welcomed them, I think our whole world could change. you go back to that scripture, the scripture where Jesus talked and, and healed the, le- the man with leprosy, I think you can see some little valuable, simple ways that we should come to Christ. I mean, it is literally wrapped up in this one little scripture, how we should come to Christ. And maybe you missed that, but I kind of read through and I thought, wow, this is exactly it. This is the message of salvation right here. Matthew 8, 1 through 3, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. That's such a simple message of salvation and healing. The leper believed that Jesus offered him a different life. He offered him a chance to be healed. He offered him a chance to feel welcome in his community. He offered him a chance to think, you can go back with your family now. You can go back and you can be part of your life again. You belong. You belong here. And he came to Jesus and he trusted that God was going to welcome him, not keep him at arm's length. Even though all those other people were saying, get away, Jesus was saying, come close. That's exactly what happens in salvation. So we all have our sickness. We all have something inside of us that we struggle with. All we have to do is say, Jesus, I trust in you. If you're willing, can you touch me? And Jesus never denies. He says, if you come to me, like I said, those who come to me, I will never drive away. 
I will never drive away. So when you come to him, he'll heal you, no matter what you're going through. But then the second thing what he did is he bowed down to Jesus. The Bible says he bowed down, which means he, he really re- respected and loved and honored God, which is what we need to do. See, the part of, of salvation is we ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. But the next thing is that we're going to make him Lord of our lives, which means we are going to revere him. We're going to respect him, that he is king. That's exactly what this leper did. He bowed down at Jesus' feet and he said, you're God, you're God. Then also he recognized one thing. He recognized that he couldn't get better on his own, that he needed Jesus. He needed his healing to be able to make it. And that's what, what happens when we come to Christ. When we come to him for salvation, we recognize we can't do this on our own. We can't make it on our own. When I went through depression, when I actually completely fell apart in 1993, when I had my husband and two kids that loved me and the dog and the house and everything looked like it should be perfect, but yet I was struggling and crying and hiding most every emotion I was feeling. It was at that moment that I came to Christ and I recognized, man, he offered us so much. I can't do this on my own anymore. I tried. I did everything I could possibly do. I read every book to try to get better. I talked to people and they would try to help me out. Nothing worked. But what worked was my brother inviting me to come to church on a Sunday night. And it was the most interesting experience because if you had asked me the day before, do I want Jesus Christ, I'd have said, absolutely not. I have no interest whatsoever. But I came, and at that time it was those moments when you were asked, not like today, where you simply go like this. You were told, said, do you want Jesus? Then come to the altar and we'll pray for you. You can receive Jesus Christ. And I remember that moment when the pastor said, do you want forgiveness of your sins? Do you need something in your life? And I am so reserved. I'm not a person who does anything out of the ordinary if you get to know me. But I ran. I literally ran for the altar. Because it was like finally hope. Hope that I didn't know even existed. I grew up with a dad that didn't show love, never said he loved me, never showed compassion. My mother had passed away when I was seven. I was raised by teenagers. <laughs> I had no one that showed me love. And I'll tell you, it was the first time ever when I came to the altar that I was felt like just honestly enveloped in God's love for the first time. Not that it's easy, not that it was perfect still. 20-some years ago, and I'm still, there's still times where I still struggle with the same things I struggled then. But you have something to hold on to. You have an anchor. You have something there that just honestly gives you hope every day to continue on. God excludes no one who comes to him for help. No one. If you're struggling where you are, if you're going through a financial trouble, if you're going through a health issue, if you're going through a relationship breakup, if you're going through life just feeling left out, God says, I come close. I'm here for you. I welcome you. I want you near me. What we do is we need to show that same love and compassion to others. 
If you guys would, the worship team, maybe come up and go ahead and get started. Um, We are going to celebrate communion um, and spend more time um, worshiping. But, you know, God excludes no one who comes to him for help. And I think what we need to really do is we need to do like what those, lep- those people suffering from leprosy in those times did. You know, where they were kept on the outside, not welcomed in. You know, they were listening to all these negative things being said about them, that they were unworthy and not valuable at all. I think if that's you today and that's the same thing that you're struggling with, maybe you feel as though you've been listening to people telling you that you're not valuable, that your opinions don't matter and... You know, that you're hopeless, that you're miserable, that you have nothing to offer. It's really just for you to understand that that's not how God ever intended to be. He wants you to feel as though you belong and that you matter. And it's an all-skate. And if you want to get out on the rink, you're welcome to. You're welcome to get out on the rink. He sees you as valuable. Enough that he gave up his life for you. He didn't just give up his life for those people that were doing everything right. He gave up his life for those who were the worst of the worst of the worst of society. The ones that maybe would say, throw them away, they're nothing. Those who were caught in the act of adultery. Those who had leprosy and were just unclean. Those who've murdered the man on the cross. He said, you can be with me today in heaven. See, God looks at us so differently than what we would look at people. He never wants us to feel left out. Salvation is for everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an all-skate. No one is ever going to be left out. So if you ask him, if you come to him, he'll give you an opportunity to get your life changed. Why do we exist at a church? To give people hope. To give people hope that there's a better way. To also have that anchor to hold on to, because this world is a crazy place. This world tosses and turns you every which way. And you need something to hold on to. God is all about inclusion, not about exclusion. I really want to give you an opportunity. I don't know if there's some of you out there. Maybe you're all believers. Maybe no one really needs to accept Jesus. And maybe you've already been forgiven and you've done that before in the past. But I don't think we could possibly celebrate communion or finish this unless we give you an opportunity, really. If you've never raised your hand and just said, Jesus, I need you. I won't make you run down the altar like I did. Although if you want to, I'm here for you. I will pray for you. Um, But I just want to give you an opportunity. If you've never really accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've never really felt like you had hope, to really give you that opportunity that you could just say, yes, that's me. I need Jesus' forgiveness. So uh, if you would just bow your heads, close your eyes, and and kind of just respect the person next to you that you don't... um, really intrude upon them because this is a personal thing between you and God. But if you're struggling, if maybe you, you know, a person has never done that before, you've never said, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need your hope in my life. If that's you, if you just want to raise your hand and I'll pray for you. I see your hands. I see your hands back there. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, if you guys would just um, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and we'll just say this prayer together uh, for everybody and if you just want to repeat after me Lord Jesus forgive us of our sins Lord we make you Lord of our life 
We ask that you come into our heart. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, maybe you're a person also. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would. Maybe you're a person right now that's just really struggling with being left out. You feel left out. You feel alone. You feel as though you've always been kept at arm's length by maybe family, friends. Um, If that's you, if you just want to raise your hand, God can help you. So just raise your hand if that's where you feel, if that's something that you've dealt with in your life. I see is. Well, let me pray for you also. Well, Lord, I do pray that you would just show up in those people's lives, Lord God, those who are struggling with feeling as though they don't belong, Lord, in areas of their life where they feel like they've been kept at arm's distance. And Lord, don't feel the love. I just pray that you would help them, Lord, to just feel that difference, Lord God, that you offer in. Lord, that you would mend relationships, that you would change some things about people, Lord God, that they would have a heart that would be more open to them. I just pray, Father, that you would help them in their battles. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name.